Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. I want to read to you, and for what it's worth, you know, I got a lot of opinions, if you will, on the whole election process um, and what's going on, but I'm not going to preach that today and share that because I'm going to preach the gospel. <laughs> but although I, do, although I do believe that he has given me a picture that we'll see if it plays out. And um, I believe he's given me a picture out of Scripture. I actually did share it with the folks who came Wednesday evening. And so if you'd have came Wednesday, you'd have got to hear it. But you didn't, so you don't get to hear it. <laughs> All right, but I do want to read a prophecy that Andre gave me, not from Andre, but from someone that he considers a, uh, a very, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, yeah, it went out of my mind. A prophet who is well-recognized, who is, um, he considers to be very accurate. And um, her name is Lana Vazer from Australia. And if you live down under, you have to be a prophet, right? <laughs> but let me just read it to you. And I'm not reading it to you necessarily about the election, but I'm reading it to you about something else that she says in it because it has been where I've been for about two weeks. And this is the word that she shared on November 4th, as I sat with the Lord this morning, watching the incredible battle that's taking place over the United States, I heard Psalm 2-4 resounding loudly in my spirit. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. I then heard the Lord say, justice is mine. There's going to be a divine demonstration of the justice of God that is going to be seen in the United States of America. The demonstration of the Lord's power and his justice to overturn is upon the United States. With my mighty hand, I shall overturn the plans of the wicked, says the Lord. I mean, I want to say this to you, though. Let us be very careful to deify one side and vilify the other, because there's enough evil to go around. Amen? I know. Don't say that in church. Okay. <laughs> I told you before, it might be two wings, but they're the same bird. Amen? All right. I felt such a strong sense that the voice of God was manifesting in the earth like never before, and it was coming in explosive ways. I began to see a united church that had arisen like never before, and they refused to move from the word of God and what the Lord had spoken. These are the days of my majesty and divine justice. I then heard the Lord say, these are the days of my majesty. These are the days where I am revealed as the king of glory. I am stepping in to reveal my majesty and that I am the one who laughs at the plans of the enemy. And so the reason I stop, I'm going to stop there for now. And the reason I read this to you is because when she said, these are the days of my majesty, these are the days of the king of glory being revealed, I have been pondering for probably two weeks on the majesty of God, the glory of God, the splendor of God, the grandeur of God. And I think it is incumbent upon the church in America in this hour, not talking about the election hour, but in this day that we live, that we recapture and are captivated once again by the glory and majesty of God. That we are raptured, enraptured with it. Uh, we love the song. We know he's the good, good father. And I love the fact that he's the good, good father. And he's the good, good father of the bedroom, if you will. But I'm going to tell you something this morning. He is the majestic God of the throne room that we must recapture this. We must, because I'm telling you something. It will revolutionize your worship. Those of you who can't worship will worship when you get a glimpse of his majesty. When you can't praise, you will praise when you get a glimpse of his majesty. We must capture, we must, not, we must be captured again by his majesty. John Calvin made an interesting statement that I came across as I was studying some of this. Calvin wrote to the Roman Catholic Church back in... Um, the 1500s. He said this, your zeal for heavenly life 
is a zeal which keeps a man entirely devoted to himself and does not even by one expression arouse him to sanctify the name of God. In other words, he's saying your zeal to get to heaven, your zeal for a heavenly life after living is a life that is totally devoted to you. That we make it all about us getting to heaven. When the reality of it is our life is to be a reflection of the glory of God. Our life is to be a reflection of the majesty of God. That we would be captivated by it and not our attempt to get to heaven. But that's what happens. We get consumed with that rather than consumed with him. You see, Calvin said that beneath all of the things that he talked about, the fundamental issue from the beginning to the end of his life was the issue of the centrality and supremacy and majesty of the glory of God. If God's glory, God's majesty is the central piece of your life, how many know you don't have to live trying to get to heaven? That's coming, man. That's your reward. And so this morning, I, I'm going to speak a message. I lost my clicker. There it is. I want to speak this message to you this morning, and, and listen to me. I feel, I've told a couple of people this. I feel totally inadequate to share this message. And if you've ever preached, you know what I'm talking about. I, for example, I could not stand up here this morning and teach you about thermodynamics. <laughs> okay? I, I could not stand up here and teach you about many things in this world because I just don't know. And yet those things in the world I could probably learn if somebody wanted to take the time to teach them to me. But speaking about the majesty of God, I don't know that I'm adequate to do that, but I'll do my best, and we'll see what the Word of God has to say. Because it's like you're stepping into an ocean and trying to explain it. And so this morning, I, I, I'm hoping that you'll, I, I'm just hoping that some of what I bring out. And my friend Eric Jenkins, if God gives you a word, share it. Okay? This, is this, this man here is a prophetic voice. He has a prophetic voice. And if God gives you words, throw something at me or come up here right now and get a mic. He's like, man, he put me on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot. You don't have to. I'm not trying to draw something out. What I'm giving license to is if something comes. Okay? I'm going to talk to you. Mastered by majesty. Mastered by majesty. I think our lives need to be mastered by his majesty. Let me read your scripture, Psalm 93. Psalm 93 begins like this. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. I I'm going to stop right there. There's five verses, I believe, in this passage, but I'm going to stop right there. We'll get to the other ones a little bit later. We probably won't even finish the whole passage, right? But the Lord reigns. Let me tell you again. The Lord reigns. Yahweh reigns. Jehovah reigns. When you look at the word Lord there, it means the word Jehovah. It means the word Yahweh. And the Bible says the psalmist is saying the Lord reigns. Let me take you. Can I take you on a history lesson for a moment this morning? I'm going to take you on a little history lesson because I, I, I got to tell you this morning that you need to remember. I need to remember. We need to remember who the king is, right? Okay, y'all good? They all in here? <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs> Oh, I tell my children, don't, tell my grandchildren, don't stare. 
I watch the adults. <laughs> I'm brutal. <laughs> I want us to focus one place this morning. I'm telling you, I'm arresting us in the spirit. And it's on God, not me. Oh, Lord, don't go don't focus on me. The Lord reigns. Let me take you on a history lesson. How many know the Bible tells us that darkness reigned over the earth? But how many know the Lord reigned over darkness? The Bible tells me that Pharaoh reigned over the sons of Israel. But I got to tell you something. How many of you remember that the Lord reigned over Pharaoh? I got to tell you this morning, the Red Sea opposed Israel. But how many know even the Lord reigns over the Red Sea? All right. Uh, the walls of Jericho stood opposed, stood defiantly to the, the sons of Israel taking their inheritance. But I got to tell you, the Lord reigned this morning. Are you catching the theme right now? All right. I got to tell you, Goliath terrorized the army of Israel, but they got this shepherd kid that God reigned through when he brought him down with a sling and a stone, right? I got to tell you about this guy named Haman. Haman was the one who was going to annihilate all the Jews in the book of Esther. Haman said, kill all the Jews, but the Lord reigned, okay? How many know there came a time in the 1940s where Hitler said, kill all the Jews, but how many know God reigned? Herod said, kill the babies so that we can kill Jesus, right? How many know the Lord reigned? Are you getting a theme? You see, how many know the Bible says that death reigned through sin? But how many know the Lord reigns? Jesus died on the cross. It looked over. But how many know the Lord reigned? They put him in a tomb. But how many know the Lord reigns over death in the grave? The nation is shaking, but the Lord reigns. The world is shaking, the nation is shaking, but the Lord reigns. Say, oh, we have a pastor, you don't understand what's going on in my life. Good, you fill in the blank. Good, you fill the blank in this morning. My mm, my mm, but the Lord reigns. My health is failing me, but the Lord reigns. My husband left me, but the Lord reigns. My wife left me, but the Lord reigns. My kid died, but the Lord reigns. Come on, church. How many know this morning that you can fill in the blank this morning? Either he reigns or he doesn't reign. And i got to tell you something. I've seen no indication anywhere in history that God has stopped reigning upon the earth. None whatsoever. He's not elected. He's not selected. Come on. You see, the Lord reigns is not a cute little cliche. We like cliches. It's a declaration of confidence from faith in the majesty and strength of the king. It's not just something I flippantly throw around. It's not just something we give platitudes to. It's not something we just say, oh, the Lord reigns. He's in control of everything. Stop that nonsense anyhow. But regardless of that, it's another message for another day. He reigns, Right? And when I'm saying he reigns, it is not me just reciting a cliche I've heard. No, 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 no. It's a declaration of confidence from my faith in the majesty and the strength of my king. Right? And when I say the Lord reigns, it's not a cute little cliche that denies the reality of a present situation. It's a recognition of the supreme sovereign in all situations. I can be in the worst of worst situations. My God reigns. When they marched around Jericho for seven days and nothing happened, God still reigned. Whenever they were in Egypt for 430 years, God still reigned. How many know this morning that it is not saying that my situation isn't what it is. It's saying God is still supreme in all situations. He's still the supreme sovereign. You see, I, I already told you, this king 
He's not elected, and he's not selected. And I'm going to tell you something. No matter how this, you know it, no matter how this election ends, it does nothing to God's throne. It does nothing to God's sovereignty. It does nothing to God's power, majesty, or might. It does nothing to do with his reign. One day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. So we have to, I, I think we have to be like the psalmist, and we start. You know what? COVID's racking the earth. My God reigns. The election is crazy. My God reigns. I got this issue, that issue. My God reigns. Scripture goes on in the same verse. And he says, and he is robed in majesty. Hmm. I think that's an interesting verse. I'm getting with you. I got to do something on my computer. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty. See, because he is king, he is robed in majesty. How many know a king has a certain way of dressing? Right? When you look into, when you look into ancient history and you saw kings, they, they had these big flowing robes. They had crowns. Oh, okay, you recognized him as the king. You know, even in the scriptures, the Bible tells us that the high priest, who was not the king, but how many know the high priest had a special robe that he wore? That you knew who he was by what he wore. All right? But I got to thinking about this. What is it saying when he's robed in majesty? Uh, all the superlatives, his splendor, his glory, honor, grandeur, might, power, all these things combined with that, right? But I got to tell you something. It got me thinking. How is God robed in majesty? How is he clothed with majesty? I would suggest to you this morning that God is not robed in majesty because he puts a robe on, but rather he is robed in what he is. He is robed in who and what he is. You can take a politician today and they can win a particular office and you can put a robe upon them, but how many know the robe that goes upon them will not change who he is? But you see, the thing about God is, he's not, just, he's not putting a robe on. You see, God is majesty. He is robed in what he is. I, I, okay, how many know this morning that I cannot make the sky more blue than it is? It is bloom, bloom, it is blue by its own intrinsic attribute. God is majestic and he's robed in majesty because of his own intrinsic attribute. He's robed in righteousness because he is righteous. He is, he is robed in majesty because he's majestic. It's like, you know, we are, I mean, how many know it's not the suit that makes the man? It's the man that makes the suit. I wore one of those yesterday, not about to do it two days in a row. You see, when we read the phrases, we often think about this robe going upon him, which, yes, we understand what the Bible talks about, his robe and all that. But let us understand something. 
He is robed in what he is. He is clothed in who he is. How many, uh, let me ask you a question this morning. How many know you better than most people know you? How many know you could put a facade on? Doesn't change who you are, does it? It doesn't change who you are, right? I mean, y'all know how it works. When you come to church, you put on the mask and you put on the facade because there ain't nothing wrong in your world. You, you just spent 20 minutes getting to church. You fought with your kids and your wife the whole way and you yelled at every driver that was in the way. And you got in the church. How you doing? Praise the Lord, brother. Everything's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no problems with me. I've been praising the Lord since 5 o'clock this morning. Right? Because we like the mask and the facade in the church so that people see us for what we want them. I've mocked this so many times, I should stop doing it. But I can't help myself because it just cracks me up. It's kind of like the Snapchat filters, the Instagram filters. Like, dear Jesus, help us. <laughs> like, 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 don't you just want to say, <laughs> I love you. You don't look like that. I saw you this morning before you took that picture. <laughs> it's a miracle. This morning you look like Lazarus waking up from the tomb, and now all of a sudden you look like an angel. <laughs> like, listen, I'm going to do some of those filters. My hair is getting thicker. All right, this is getting smaller. This is getting more less wrinkles. Like, man, I am going to look good. Like a younger George Clooney, man, move over. But how many of you know that those filters don't change the facts? The filter doesn't change the fact. God needs no filter. God is what he is. He's robed in righteousness. He's robed in glory. He's robed in majesty because he's majestic. We must elevate our vision of our God in this age. We have made him a good friend. He is our friend. We have made him a good, good father, and he is a good, good father. But let us not forget, he is God Almighty. He is majestic. He is holy. He is high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. He is all of that. It will revolutionize your worship. He's who he is. Because he is majestic, his works are majestic. How many know he can't do anything that's not majestic? He's bound by who he is. How many know there are some things that don't look majestic, but they're still majestic nonetheless? You see, you've got to understand something. God can't do what he's not. How many know God cannot lie? He cannot lie because he's not false. There is no darkness in him. Everything he does is majestic. Everything. Because he is majestic, his name is majestic. Right? Remember the psalmist? The psalmist says what? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So I'm getting thinking about this some more. He's robed in majesty because of who he is. The psalmist tells me in chapter 22, he's enthroned upon the praise of Israel. 
Praise is elevating God, right? It's not that it's, not that it's putting him on the throne, because I mean, no, he is on the throne, but it is a recognition in our hearts that he's on the throne, okay? And so we're recognizing this. And it began to think about it. Do you know the, you know the king had many attendants? Do you know some of those robes those kings wear, they couldn't put on themselves? The train fills the temple. Do you know how big that train is on some of those robes? How many, how many on the wedding day, how many know that the bride has that big old train following her around? Right? And what does she have? The attendant. The bridesmaid. The best, well, the matron of honor, whatever she's called. Right? And she's got to make sure. She's got a job. When she goes this way, you take it and you go this way and you go that way. And you make sure it's just right for pictures and all that stuff. Right? She's helping her with the train of that. There are times in Scripture, you know, the Bible tells me that Joab, David, one of David's men, had 10 young men to carry his armor. That's a lot of armor when you've got 10 guys carrying it. But I've got to think about this king in his robe. Hmm. You see, because what happens is, when I see his majesty... I worship. How many know his, seeing his majesty should cause you to worship? That's what the Bible tells me. That's what Revelation shows me. But I think what happens, let me just catch this vision, that when I see his majesty, I worship the majestic one, and therefore I am robing him in majesty. I am enveloping him with worship. I'm enveloping him with praise. I'm enveloping him with the majesty that I see. I'm not making him majestic, but I'm actually clothing him with my words, clothing him with my I'm recognizing him, and I am saying he is majestic. Now, so what happens is, when I, my, it's my worship is me saying your majesty. My worship is me saying I recognize your majesty. We would call the president by the name president. We call the governor by the name governor title. If we were over in a country where there's a king, we would use the appropriate title. When we're in court, what do we say? Your honor. My worship is me saying your majesty. Sometimes... Our lack of worship is because there's a lack of recognition of his majesty. Because when you see his glory, his honor, his splendor, his grandeur, his majesty, his power, his might, something happens. Is it not true? And your worship begins to surround him. You become part of that which surrounds him in majesty. See, my praise is me declaring who is my majesty. President Trump is not my majesty. If it's President Biden, he is not my majesty. My wife is not my majesty. She might be the queen, but she's not my majesty. She might be the boss, but she's not my majesty. Right? You see, what you praise is your majesty. Money is some people's majesty. We are better sometimes at praising celebrities than we are our God. And they become our majesty. 
It's an interesting thing. Because what happens is worship is that which surrounds him. And we become part of the majesty that surrounds him. Revelation chapter 4 shows us a glimpse into the throne room. And when the four living creatures begin to praise God and begin to sing the song, the 24 elders, the Bible says, surround the throne and fall down and worship. And they take off their crowns and they worship and they surround him in majesty. The created becomes part of that which robes him in majesty. But what is it? So, so let me remind you again. Here's what it says. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Hmm. The psalmist says the world was established in accordance with his majesty. How many know the world was set in its place by the majesty of God? How many know it does not spin off its axis because of the glory of God? Because of the majesty of God? How many know we live in a world where we can breathe and we have oxygen, and we have all the things. That, how many know it is God who established that? We have lived in this incredible world where the sun and the moon govern seasons and days. And who put all this in place? God. He established it. He fixed it, and it's firm. The things in the world might not be firm, but how many of the world is firm? You see, the world was established in accordance with his majesty. The world is firm in accordance with his majesty. Where were you when I told the ocean this far and no farther? But here's, the, here's what I want to take you. Here's where I want to take you. Out of his majesty, your world is established, fixed, and secure. Out of his majesty... And in accordance with his majesty, your world is fixed, it is established, and it is secure. You, you see, this world is being shaken, but I am unshaken. This world is being shaken, but you can be unshaken. Because I've got a kingdom within me that cannot be shaken. I've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, my world is fixed. I don't have to be tossed to and fro. I don't have to be tossed left and right. I don't have to be up and down. I can go through this world and be secure and fixed because of his majesty. Right? Okay? Listen to me. All of a sudden what happens is his master, his majesty masters your world. How is it that some of you in this room have been able to go through some of the darkest nights of the soul and you still and you still haven't been moved. When your heart was broken, when your life was turned upside down, and yet you still stand. And you say, I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. Because my God, his majesty, it masters my world. Psalm 45, we read a little bit of it today. It says, strap your sword on your thigh, mighty one. In your splendor and majesty, and in your majesty ride victoriously for the cause of truth, humility, and righteousness. Hmm. I mean, that's the foundation of his throne. Huh? 
I got the next slide wrong. Oh, well, it'll work. You'll get the idea. What's he saying? You're, in your majesty, you ride on victoriously. You strapped your sword to your thigh. His majesty masters your enemy. Do you understand his majesty mastered your enemy? Do you understand the enemy is a defeated foe today? Do you understand he defeated him? Do you understand that he strapped a sword to his thigh? Do you understand that he went to Calvary? Do you understand he went into the bowels of the earth? Do you understand this morning that he, your God, his majesty has mastered your enemy? It has. Sometimes we forget that this devil is a defeated foe by the majesty of God. The Bible says he sits at the right hand of the majesty of God. His majesty, according to that psalm, will reveal truth, humility, and righteousness. This is about as close to a political message I'm going to give you today. My God's not done. And my God has strapped his majesty to his side. And there is humility, truth, and righteousness about to be unveiled. Now, let me say this to you. Sometimes we don't like what the truth is that's revealed. Just throwing that out there, too. These are the days of his majesty where our king is going to be revealed. His majesty always worked for the cause of truth, humility, and righteousness. Always. The psalmist says, and what does it do in my life when I see this? Well, Psalm 45, I already read it to you. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. The psalmist is thinking of the glory of God, the majesty of God. If you go on in this scripture, you'll see it. Let me, let, me, let me go back to it real quick for you. My heart is stirred by a noble theme. As I recite my verses for the king, my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men. Your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. And in your majesty, ride victoriously. Man. It was the majesty of God that stirred the heart of the psalmist. I'll say this as lovingly as I can. Some of you need your heart stirred. You need your heart stirred. By the majesty of God. Get your eyes off your stuff. Get your eyes off your things. Get your eyes off the election. Get your eyes off this world. Get your eyes off your problems. Get your eyes off your pity party. And get your eyes on the majesty of God. Allow him to stir your heart. Get on Facebook. You can see what's stirring hearts. Ouch. Shut up, Jim. Leave us alone. Don't you talk about Facebook. We should call it heart book. 
You want to know what's stirring somebody's heart? You'll see it. He said, my heart is stirred by a noble thing. We need to read more of the book of Revelation, not so that we can try to figure out the end time, but so we get a glimpse of the throne room. So we get a glimpse of the majesty of God and the glory of God. We read it wrong. We're always going to it just to see what's going to happen. Go there to get a glimpse of the victorious one, the majestic one, the throne room one. Because I said before a couple weeks ago, the atmosphere of that throne room in heaven needs to be the atmosphere of this temple. The culture of that throne room needs to be the culture of this temple where I bow and I worship before my king. But I cannot do it until I get a glimpse of his majesty. My heart is stirred by the majesty of the king. Therefore, my heart will not be troubled. In this world, you will have trouble, the Bible says. Jesus told his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in who? Me. Trust in my father. When you're trusting in him, I mean, you're trusting in the majestic one. While I don't like everything I see in the world landscape, my heart is not troubled. While I don't like everything that's ever happened in my life, my heart is not troubled. Because my heart is stirred by the majesty of my God, of my King. Therefore, my heart will not be troubled. My heart is stirred by the majesty of the King. My heart will be mastered by his majesty. What is it that has mastered your heart? What is it that has mastered your heart and set your countenance and set the words out of your lip and fixed your attitude? What is it that has mastered your heart? Can I suggest today that the majesty of God stir our heart, master our heart. Psalm 40, 145. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I'm going to meditate. Hmm. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to think upon. I'm going to consider How many know his majesty masters my mind? What you meditate upon masters your mind. What you think upon masters your mind. As a man thinks, though he... Some of us worry masters our mind. Anxiety masters our mind. Grief masters our mind. Uncertainty of the future masters our mind. It's the last thing you think of when you go to bed. It's the first thing you think of when you wake up. <clears throat> but the psalmist says, this is what I'm going to meditate on. I'm going to meditate on the majesty of God. But you say, but pastor, I can't help but think of some of the things in my life. I get it. We ain't going to say we don't think about those things. 
But when you think about those things, then you must turn your mind to meditate upon the majesty of God so that it becomes that which masters your mind. Because without him, how many know your mind is going to be held master by you or the enemy of your soul? You see, we need to come to a place where we say, I am mastered by the majesty of God. Come on, Troy. Let's breathe hope into the place. When you get a glimpse of his majesty, it should master your life. When you get a glimpse of his majesty, it should master your life. Because now his majesty is mastering your mind. It's mastering your heart. That now masters your tongue. Sin will no longer be your master. Anger will no longer be your master. Worry will no longer be your master. Anxiety will no longer be your master. I'm not saying you'll never encounter it. I'm saying it won't master you. These are the days of his majesty, the prophet said. And I believe it. For two weeks I have pondered how to preach this message. And I still don't know that I adequately can do it because it's so vast and it's so big and it's so deep. And he's so incredible. when you worship you are saying your majesty my majesty 